Prince recorded a song that would become synonymous with his future home, recording, filmmaking, and music video studio, concert slash party venue, and basically an overall awesome museum complex called Paisley Park. Back when Paisley Park was simply a figment of an idea and a cool name for a vanity record label that Prince recently spearheaded, all we had to us was a second track off of Around the World in a Day. That's what Paisley Park was to the vast majority of us, was a song off of Prince's seventh album. So joining me to discuss the lyrics to the song Paisley Park, not the recording studio, not the home, or the record label, is Julian Long. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yes, thanks for joining me again. And just kind of like uh, with the last episode you're on, there's something about the second track on an album that seems to appeal to you. Since <laughs> the last time you were on my show, we talked about Take Me With You. Was That was the second track off of Purple Rain. That is true. Now, here we are, Paisley Park, the second track off of Around the World in a Day. I hadn't even put that together, and now I'm going to go back and look at all of Prince's second tracks and see if that holds up because generally this is weird generally it's the third track on an album that i like but this this is an interesting i don't believe in coincidences so now now i must know <laughs> yeah go back and take a look and see if you're really drawn to those second tracks <laughs> exactly um so you know with you wanting to be on this episode you know kind of being drawn towards this song as i mentioned already do you have any kind of interesting history with this song or oh yeah what is it that that you really like about this song or in particular so it's a couple of things one um this is one of this is one of the print songs that makes me cry and it made me cry literally the first time i heard it which was like i was eight or nine years old when this came out and um i couldn't explain it it wasn't it wasn't exactly sadness but it wasn't exactly happy tears either i didn't i don't think i yet knew the word melancholy but there was a sense of that in it and i'm i'm drawn to songs that can make you feel that uh there are very few sort of in in my overall musical canon that draw me that way i think uh jay-z's allure is another one and then oddly um and i'll probably end up talking about it a little bit prince's song gold from uh, the gold experience is another one that kind of pulls me in the same way so i love this song because it makes me feel a way mm -hmm. that makes sense because you know feeling is really what i think this song is trying to evoke out of the listener is some sort of feeling and as we go through the lyrics we'll kind of assess what what lines what what stories being told that really are, are attempting to do that in us. The sound is interesting to me. Uh, it, it's very different than, and, and this is kind of a, a recurring theme when talking about songs off of Around the World in a Day, is the sound is so different than a lot of what he had put out prior to this. And whether that's good or bad depends on what your taste is in music in general, or if you're on board with an artist that likes to change their sound consistently and uh, throughout that their career. If you don't like that, then you may not like the direction he took on this album. But if you're, if you're on board with that idea that an artist can evolve and change and um, you know draw from different inspirations to create art, then you're gonna think that Around the World in a Day, the album is fascinating and Paisley Park is a fascinating song as well for that reason, at least in my opinion. 
Oh, absolutely. And around the world in the day, it's 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 amazing because it was recorded so soon after Purple Rain. So when you think about how different it is, I mean, there's some similarities. When you think about how different it is from Purple Rain, that he had made so many, you know, leaps in in style and sound and uh, apparently inspiration. It's just it makes it that much more fascinating to really dig into. And of all the songs on Around the World and Day, and there's so much on that album to love, Paisley Park, for me, I think it occurs for me as one of the most um, underrated. Yeah, mm -hmm. it occurs for me as one of the most underrated songs, especially given the the ultimate importance that it was going to take in his life. Like he. He clearly felt a way when writing this because this is what he chose, as you said in the intro, to name his home, his his vanity label, his, you know, party space, recording studio, sanctuary, all of that came out of this song or, or, or shares a name with this song, which means this song meant something important to him, this idea, this concept of whatever Paisley Park is. And it amazes me that more people don't don't treat this song as important. At least, at least my observation. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. You know, as you mentioned, this song was written shortly after Purple Rain was even released. So, like, he's just starting to. Purple Rain has just recently taken off as a album, as a movie. He had just reached the the highest of of pop culture heights that he could be, but he was kind of in some ways retreating a bit in his. In his um, his ideas and his concepts for the next thing that he was going to do, it's pretty evident to me, at least from an outsider's perspective, that a lot of the songwriting on this album that he was writing in '84 feels almost like a direct um, reaction to the intensity of the spotlight that he was experiencing at the time. Mm. So Paisley Park is in your heart. I mean, that is that is. The crux of this song that's the last line of the chorus and if you don't take away really anything from this song that's like one line that you can take out of the song and and put it in your brain and say that's what maybe this song is about i know it's about a lot of things and we'll get to that but paisley park is in your heart and that's a really internal um viewpoint to have that that whatever paisley park is to you you find it within yourself and to me, that's the whole thing where Prince is kind of, and I say retreat, and I don't mean like he was too shy from the spotlight because he still had a world tour to go on and, and perform in. Um, you still making music videos, although the music video for Paisley Park does not have him in it at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. It's nope. so frustrating. Yep. <laughs> so a little bit of housekeeping with Paisley Park. It was never officially released as a single in the United States, but it was released as a single in nearly every other country outside of the U.S., which is kind of weird that, for whatever reason, there was no plans to ever release this as an official single in the U.S. I don't get. I don't quite get that. Uh, I don't know the reasons for that. And in some countries, this was the lead single from the album. It wasn't Raspberry Beret like it was in the United States. Or the first song that some countries heard from this new album from this global megastar, the big follow-up to Purple Rain was Paisley Park. Wow. 
Wow. Like, wrap your head around that. Like, you've been listening to When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy and Purple Rain and Take Me With You and I Would Die For You and and you've seen the movie and you see how big he's become and then oh prince has got a new album out i can't wait to i can't wait to hear it what's the first song we're going to listen to this kind of slow droning um slightly psychedelic yeah song with very introspective lyrics it doesn't really have anything to do with um you know the the bombastity of 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 some of the themes that he was singing about on purple rain so yeah that's that's a kind of a odd cool interesting footnote i guess for this song is is it being a lead single in many many countries in the in the world that is wild i I never knew that yeah that is a completely wild way to experience this song for the first time is as it the it being the basically sophomore the sophomore release for a lot of people that's Mm -hmm. great that's crazy to me. I, st- I think I still would have dug it if it had been the first song that I had heard off of Around the World in a Day, but I can't imagine... I know that around that how I perceive this song is colored by the fact that it is surrounded with Raspberry Beret and Pop Life and like happier, jauntier, fun songs that make this one okay. Like, this was, this was a safe... The, you know, the feelings that it brought out, the sort of the, the sense of melancholy were okay to experience and be safe with because I could always flip on Raspberry Beret and, you know, bounce around to that one and feel good about it. But for me, the context of the song was even affected by the cover for Around the World in the Day, which is gorgeous. And I remember, I remember mine specifically because... Um, my cousins had it on vinyl, and when you fold it out, you see the the mountains in the background take the shape of a woman. I bought it on uh, I bought it on cassette. Mm-hmm. At, Me too. At Kmart, and um, they made they made the uh, I guess Warner Brothers made them edit it for the for the Kmart release because the mountains they they didn't have that same shape. They had altered the shape of it to just be sort of nebulous. Uh, that sort of camo paisley colorful background yeah, yeah but without the without the impression of a breast and a nipple but i remember looking at the cover and just feeling like well this is an interesting place like this is this and so for me that whether or not that was intended that cover was paisley park and i was like this is where i'm being invited to um and i would look at it when i would listen to the song and try and find you know all the places that he mentioned yeah that was a really cool aspect of this of this record and then like you i had the tape too because you know 1985 that was a vi- you know i don't know if it was the primary way of selling music in 85 but i felt like in my in my world people were buying tapes vinyl was right. still there it was still a thing but tapes were number one i thought in 85 right. so i'm with you i had the i had the tape and it didn't the the cover was was colorful and interesting but I don't think it grabbed me in a way if it would have if I had the vinyl with the with the um, you know the fold the gatefold and you could pull it all out with the lyrics in it and you could see the details of all the the drawings of the people on the cover I, w- I would have been able to see you know like the the image of the woman as mountains in the background and a lot of that escaped me but I still took away the thought and the idea that Paisley Park was represented 
you know, the, the concept, the place in your heart was represented uh, tangibly with this painting, even though um, uh, really what the painting does is try to describe a lot of the different songs on, on the record, but I really thought it was ladder cool. in the background and there's a tambourine. Yeah. Like all those little elements. Yeah. And I, and I know a lot of people don't like to um, make correlations between this album and stuff that the Beatles were doing in the late sixties. But for me, I, I was listening to the Beatles before I listened to Prince because my mom was a big Beatles fan. So I had Beatles records surrounding me at all times. And so I had listened to like Sgt. Pepper's and um, Abbey Road and stuff like that long before I discovered Prince. So it was inevitable for someone like me who started with the Beatles and then moved to Prince to make those, to draw those uh, correlations and those parallels. Like, oh, this looked like a kind of a Sgt. Pepper's type cover. Or, right. oh, this, uh, this Paisley Park that he's singing about kind of sounds a little bit like Strawberry Fields Forever or Penny Lane, where... You know, it's a concept, it's an idea. Although going back to the lyrics of both of those songs, um, I, have, I mean, I, li I like both those songs quite a bit, but I feel like the lyrics are way more oblique in a song like Strawberry Fields Forever than they are here in Paisley Park. And I appreciate uh, Prince's being more uh, upfront about some of the, the ideas and themes that he's trying to express here than Strawberry Fields Forever, which can just be kind of confounding. You know, you're scratching your head like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I always made those connections. Not everybody did. But I do had, I did have distinct memories of hearing Paisley Park on our local radio station, even though it was not released as a single in the United States. And I even, I, I feel like I have... I still have all my old tapes of recording songs off the radio, which is just kind of speaks to my hoarder mentality that I didn't get rid of those. <laughs> but I feel like I still have it. So I got to go dig in and, and find the tape that I recorded Paisley Park off the radio to kind of prove to myself that I wasn't imagining hearing this song on the radio. Um, and I always thought it was a single because I didn't know any better. I figured if it's on the radio, it must be a single. It that, didn't do that yeah, when you said it wasn't officially a single that actually surprised me because i was like i'm pretty sure it was like i heard it places other than me playing it so i yep. felt like it had to have been a single but yeah, yeah i guess not no and <laughs> strangely enough no I, it was one of those things that i learned much much later in life and i i really doubted the the research i did because i remember hearing it on the radio and i and yeah, songs like Erotic City and certain markets were being played on the radio and that technically wasn't a single, but it was the flip side of a single. So what would prevent a DJ from just flipping that that um, seven inch over and playing the B side? But this one didn't, it wasn't a B side. You had to like, in order for them to play it, in order for a, a DJ to play it, they would have had to just play it right off of the, the record themselves or they would have had to import the seven inch from another country. Unless there was a promo version, which could be possible. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. So um, the sound, and we kind of already touched on the music video, not having Prince at all in it. The first, I believe it's the first music video he ever made that didn't <laughs> include him in some form or fashion. So, yeah, uh, this cut, it. that just to me is just another example of of prince wanting to uh, retreat a bit and wanting to take a back seat a bit to his art 
um, didn't want it to be about him. He wanted he wanted the song. I felt like he wanted the song to speak for him for itself. And having him and his band in in the song or in the video may have distracted from that. And just including a, a video with a bunch of kids dancing and playing and having a good time with some you know interesting video editing techniques. Uh, very eighties look. Very eighties look, looking. That was very generous. <laughs> yeah, it's. I showed the video to my family, and they're just like, "This is. This couldn't have cost any money to, to make it all. <laughs> There's no production values here." I'm like, yeah, "You're not wrong." These were a strange time. <laughs> they were. But um, yeah, I guess like from the sound, and I know this is a lyrics podcast, but you can't get past the sound of this song. What what draws you, or what do you what what are your opinions about how the song sounds, how it comes across as a as a composition? It's part of what makes the lyrics work for me because there's so it has a carnival like sound, like you hear you hear an instrument that feels almost like a calliope, but it's it's I don't know if it's in a minor key, but the fact that it has this sort of down depressed sound to it. But it's important to me that it sounds carnival-like because that makes Paisley Park um, that made Paisley Park a theme park when I heard it. Mm-hmm. Paisley Park wasn't like a playground, which is another thing that makes the video kind of weird. The video looks like a playground, but then it has like a big pink castle somewhere in the middle of it that kind of looks like a theme park thing. Looks like something out of Disney. Yeah. But um, but it made it made the space somehow bigger and. I got the idea that it was supposed to be fun, but there was underlying sadness to it. Like that's what the that's what the sound of you know the music did and it sort of reinforces the lyrics. I mean and we'll get to it in a minute, but like the lyrics feature crying twice. Like it it deals pretty heavily with with the people's sadness, so it makes sense that the music would have that to it, you know, have a little that a little of that to it as well mm-hmm. even though it starts off with another one of his jaunty bouncy count-offs and like you really think you're good like it starts off with a count-off the same way raspberry beret does and so i'm like okay and then it does not give me any of what raspberry beret gives me it, okay funny the count-off almost sounds like it's like he's singing it a little slower slurred a bit mm-hmm. um so it, it it gives once again like this whole kind of trippy uh, LSD type trip. Of, yeah, I don't know if somebody taking too much cough syrup and they're a little drowsy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, those aren't things that I thought of when I was a kid. I wasn't thinking, "Ooh, Prince sounds like he's all drugged up." Um, right. I didn't think that, but now looking back on it, it it's one, two, one because you know the beat to the song is, it is pretty a little slow slower, too. Yeah. It's it's a bit slowed down. It's like he had like this drum drum machine beat. It's like nope, that's too fast. We got to slow it down. And it's a bit hypnotic. And the count off is something you typically experience in a kind of a upbeat song, like in, like you said in Raspberry Beret. But uh, here here we've got it in Paisley Park. And the sadness, you don't really get a sense for that right away. So um, it's kind of interesting how the song kind of. Uh, unveils itself. There is a part that is known for the things it attracts. 
So the first verse in Paisley Park is, There is a park that is known for the face it attracts. Colorful people whose hair on one side is swept back. Smile on their faces, it speaks of the fun in a piece. Ask where they're going, they'll tell you nowhere. They've taken a lifetime lease on the face. The smile on their faces, it speaks of profound inner peace. Ask where they're going, they'll tell you nowhere. They've taken a lifetime lease on Paisley Park. Yes. All right. So the first verse of the song, I guess for me, it kind of, kind of introduces the the concept and the idea of what Paisley Park is and can be. It's a very like introductory type verse in my mind, giving you some imagery about the people that are there. What do they look like? Uh, what's What's the vibe? You know, what what are right. people there for? What is it that you get out of it from going there? And they taken a lifetime lease on Paisley Park. That line in particular, it can be a little. It can almost come across sinister if it's sung in a in a different way. Like to take a lifetime lease on this place that is, as you kind of understand, is really not real. It's it's a figment it's imaginary it's within you and if you're not and if this place is is dark and it's not a happy place that would be really sad like taking a lifetime lease on sadness but he says they have inner peace so now you're supposed to assume that everything about paisley park is is positive what do you like about this um so this this particular verse is always cued for me a sense of belonging and a sense of like this is where this is where the weirdos can go and everything is okay now i say always i didn't probably get that at eight or nine but when i was becoming more prince absorbed around middle school um this is exactly how that occurred for me um because that's when you're sort of at your awkward defining period in life and this was this was a signal or a sign that there's a place where all of the weirdos and the, the quote-unquote colorful people, which when I was nine, I thought meant black people. And so I was still okay with that because I was like, oh, there's a place where we all belong. That's awesome. Um, but then when I was in middle school and I understood colorful people to mean more, um, you know, quirky, awkward, interesting, uh, mm-hmm. eccentric people, it still gave me this sort of sense of belonging and a sense of healing. Um, something about this place felt like belonging and healing and acceptance. And still for me, even, and maybe because by the time I was older, I had already, I can't remember how I felt the first, first time I heard it. But, but I remember, I remember by middle school already, like at the beginning, kind of gearing up for sad. And that was okay. I felt safe with that. But, um, but the, the, Hold on, there was something else. There was a specific line. Oh, the what you were talking about, the they've taken a lifetime lease and, and that sort of sinister tone. This feels for me the same way um, Hotel California feels. Mm. And there was another song back in the in the late 90s, maybe, called The Way. Those are songs that just have have sort of an empty feeling, but you you feel like there's something going on there that might be dark, but it's also quite all right. 
And that's how I feel about that line. And that's how I've always felt about this place. It's like, whatever happens there, it's okay. Everybody's kind of comfortable in their choice. The things that I pick out with this verse. So you already mentioned the colorful people line. And, you know, colorful, as you mentioned, really can and oftentimes is referring to like the quirky individuals, the ones who don't fit into the societal norms, however you want to describe that. But I also wonder if he's referring to like a multiracial type situation. I don't know if you picked up on that at all or if, you know, colorful people. But I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's just something, another way to potentially interpret that line. I think it's funny that the colorful people whose hair on one side is swept back yes. <laughs> because I, that that's like the, the, the hairstyle that uh, was Prince was making very popular at the time in the Purple Rain era. He had all of his band members kind of have that same poofy hair with the swept side off to one side, male or female, didn't matter. Uh, that's kind of the visual I get from that. Do you get the same or anything different? Oh, I totally do. And I was kind of, and I was like, is he, did he do that because he likes his hair that way? Or was it like, what was he looking at that made him think like, this is, <laughs> this is a type of person. These are, these, this is a group. This is a collective of people who wear their hair on, swept back on one side. Like there are star belly sneeches and there are plain belly sneeches and the, Hair swept people are the star belly. Like, <laughs> what group was this yeah. that, that was inspiring him, if if not, you know, his own, if not the revolution? Yeah. Can yeah. I talk a little bit about the first line? Of course. So, Paisley Park, for me, this line, there is a park that is known. That line, for me, I call Paisley Park now, when I talk about it, one of his parable songs. And the other one, that I think is its spiritual twin is gold from the gold experience. Okay. That this sort of this vague assertion of a place. You don't know where the place is. The place could be real, the place could be imagined. Um, and then in gold he starts off, there's a mountain and it's mighty high. And as you go through lyrically with this song and then later you'll probably do gold. I don't know if you're no, because you're working upward, so we got a ways to go. Eventually, yes, I will get <laughs> Eventually. <gold>. But um <laughs> They, they feel spiritually akin to one another because it establishes a place and it establishes a way that people are within this place. It's a really narrative storytelling type structure where once you establish a place and then you establish the way that people are within this place, you can then sort of isolate and pinpoint, look over there at this person and see what this person is doing and this person is doing. There's a, a short story that I truly love by N.K. Jemison called The Ones Who Stay and Fight that does the same thing. It sort of establishes a place. And then she, as the omniscient narrator, picks out individuals within this grand city to take a look at. Look over there at this guy and see what he's doing. And so I kind of love this. The And the ambiguity of it is the reason why I call it a parable. Because um, in the Bible, when Jesus uh, talked about par- when, when he whenever he gave a parable, it was always, there was a certain man or there was a certain land. It was never specifically this guy named Joe once did. It was the sort of vagueness of, of, of there, there's a place, there's a person, there's a way. And I kind of like the way that he opens it up with, there's a park. Like, that's factual. Trust, this exists. You haven't seen it, but I'm going to tell you all about it and bring you there. Yeah. Yeah. A very, very astute observation with that. Thank you. 
Um, I yeah, the the whole Paisley Park concept was pretty new to people, and it, you, you get a feeling that it was within. Like Prince had this idea bubbling up inside of him to create this art around this concept for a while, and he's like excited to explain it, to kind of tell people about it, and you know, ask where they're going, they'll tell you nowhere. And I get out of that because they don't have to travel anywhere to go to this park. And that gives you like one of the first clues that um, this this park that is known is, at least it gives me a clue, that this park that is known really is, isn't a physical place. It's easy to miss, right. but I, I don't get that it's a physical place because ask where they're going, tell you nowhere. We don't have to go anywhere to get to Paisley Park. And that's... Now, see, I took that a different way. I took that as they're not going anywhere because they have committed to being here. They've taken a lifetime lease, like that next line. So if you ask where they're going, they're not passing through Paisley Park. They are committed to being here now that they found it. Whether, you know, for good, bad, or, or, or you know, for better or for worse, they're not going anywhere. They, and I assume because they love it here. Um, not because they're trapped here, as Hotel California always made me feel. Yeah. Um, good, yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Okay, so then the chorus, uh, the girl on the seesaw is laughing for love is the color this place in parts, Paisley Park. Admission is easy, just say you believe and come to this place in your heart. Paisley Park is in your heart. And uh, I think with the chorus, it kind of goes back to what you had been talking about, where just like this place now exists. This is the concept behind it. So now let's take a look at this girl over there, she's laughing. This girl on the seesaw. And she's laughing because she's happy. And she has love. She experiences love every day when she's here in Paisley Park. The love is the color, this place in parts. So in this in this chorus, it's kind of cool how he paints love as being a, a color, not a not even just a you know, a feeling or an emotion. It's is a color that people can see and, and you know, be enveloped by, I guess. Do you see anything interesting or different about the chorus or that line in particular? I love it, and I have to admit that it's one of those lines that I didn't get until I looked it up one day. You know, the internet has been beautiful for completely reframing shit in my head. So <laughs> You and me both. <laughs> so, um, she, for me, she wasn't laughing until... 10 years ago, 10 years ago or so, she was happy. I thought it was the girl on the seesaw is happy and I didn't know it was for love. I thought it was cause love. Um, I mean, and the intention is still there, but the specificity of the language I think is important because there's something a little poetic and uh, almost, I don't, I don't know, like Elizabethan in for love is the color this place imparts versus cause love is the color and I thought it was, I actually thought the line, when I was younger, I thought the line was, because love is the colorful place in her heart. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense, because as you've established later, Paisley Park is in your heart. So once I got the lyrics straight, it felt a little more stilted to me. 
it's a little stiffer than than the way that I had originally known it. I still love it, but um, it doesn't feel as as soft as the way I had always heard the song. And I don't know if you're like me, if you're one of those people who, when you have thought the lyrics were one thing your whole life, even when you know better, you just keep them the way you used to know them. Are, are you like that, or do you? It depends. It depends on if I really so was sold on the way that I heard it, and I prefer I was, it that way. <laughs> um, I think but because I had such youthful attachments, I was pretty sold on my original version of it. So when I when I catch myself singing it aloud, I still sing the wrong lyrics. But um, I love the I love the visual though. I love the idea of this this girl on the seesaw, like. And that she becomes sort of the center point of the song. Like, she's the fulcrum. She's the point that you return to. And I like the idea of a seesaw because it's ups and downs. And that's what, like I said, like, this song still has moments of sadness for me. The song very clearly, even musically, takes a turn to, like, a minor place to to intentionally bring you to sadness. But then it also comes back up. And so this this seesaw that's established in the course feels like what the song does throughout because even though there are downtimes on a seesaw, it's overall a happy place to be. It's overall a happy experience. And that's how the song occurs for me, the way that it moves. Um, love as a color, I don't know. And I don't know if it, if it ever really stuck out for me as as particularly different. I think by the time I understood the lyrics for what they are, I had heard, um, I don't remember who had who, who made the song. There's a song called Color Him Father. And the chorus to it says, I think I'll color him father. I think I'll color him love. So it's it didn't feel like anything unusual to me because I'd, I'd heard the sort of idea of the abstraction of coloring uh, of, of, of something that isn't a color being applied as a color. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because Prince has been known to do the whole love is God and God is love interchangeable words in the in the past, well, his whole career, most of his career at least, but you don't see him do that or hear him do that with colors too often. So even just taking the word love and, and trying to apply a religious context for me, doesn't really work in right. this song. So I don't, I don't really, I don't believe that every single time Prince ever said the word love, he really meant God. Some people do, I don't. And this is one situation where I just don't make that connection at all in this song to being religious. Maybe some people do. I, I just can't make that connection myself personally. I don't see it as religious. Paisley Park, even though I know this isn't correct, Paisley Park occurred for me as an afterlife of sorts, which I think, and you were kind of alluding to like a sense of a, a sense of, of sinisterness. If people choose the that sort of afterlife, I could see that kind of dark, sinister nature. I know that's not what it was, but it, it kind of occurred for me as not heaven, not hell, not purgatory, but sort of a different chosen afterlife where people can find their way once they find their way there, they're get, they're good, they're they're solid. And so, while that doesn't occur for me as religious, it occurs for me as philosophical, I guess. Especially because you know, open 
or in the in the opening verse, it's established that they they've got this profound inner peace, and they're sort of smiling with this profound inner peace that feels Zen-like or you know Buddhist-like. And so, the idea that there's a plane of existence that is not that's neither life nor death that people can choose that that kind of fits to me not necessarily religious but a way of believing yeah yeah a belief system for sure okay um then another line in the chorus that i like or at least i have something to say about is the admission is easy just say you believe that kind of harkened back a little bit to a line in the previous song around the world in a, around the world in a day when he says a wonderful trip through our time and laughter is all that you pay yes in in the whole concept of this album well at least in the first two songs he mentions where yeah you have to pay something to to do this but we're not talking about uh, dollars and cents we're talking about paying through laughter or uh, belief like you have to you have to give something of yourself that's more than just something you can pull out of your wallet or your purse if even if the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich are all this even playing field here because it doesn't matter it needs to come from within you you have to have joy and belief to to arrive and to be given admission and that's a right. that's kind of a you know i think that's purposeful for sure to include that again here that concept i love that take on it my my original take in, in earlier years was a lot simpler. It felt like Peter Pan. Anything was possible if you believed. Um, you know, clap if you believe in fairies and Tinkerbell's gonna come back to life. Say that you believe in Paisley Park and you can go there. Like they were hand in hand for me, the same kind of, which the, the same kind of simplicity, which underscores uh, the sort of childlike innocence. And so we were talking about the video before, there's all these kids in the video, even when the verses that are being sung are decidedly adult themes, um, which we're, we're on our way there. But the whole thing is sort of underscored by childlike innocence. And so this idea that all you got to do is believe. I mean, we're, we, are, we are grown men of a certain age, Jason. We, mm -hmm. we are now at a place in life where... I think it's safe to say we have come up upon a number of instances where belief is not enough. <laughs> where <laughs> and and where believing isn't always easy, right? Like there right. are things that are asked of us, you know, just to imagine a possibility and because of what we've experienced in life, because of, you know, different things that may have made us jaded um or or you know, cynical, we can't imagine that possibility so easily we can't believe that that can be possible so easily so for prince to say admission is easy just say you believe is really kind of speaking to something i think children can do a lot more easily than adults can and i think that makes it appropriate that you know the first citizen that we're introduced to in paisley park is the girl on the seesaw yep. and she gets it she she is the embodiment of the park. She absolutely gets it, and she is she is laughing. Um, and it doesn't matter if she's up, and it doesn't matter if she's down. She believes she's there, and I think she's sort of the the poster child for Paisley Park. The other folks that we get introduced to a little bit later on, they are people who we hope can get to Paisley Park, and I think that's that kind of goes back to how 
deceptively simple admission is. Believing is believing is is what's required, or at least declaring that you believe is what's required. But that's not always as easy to do as it sounds, as easy as he seems to promise it is. That does kind of speak to certain, you know, certain ways of being within Christian tradition about salvation and that you have to confess with your mouth. You have to believe and say out loud that you believe. Like that is a part of but this idea that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that that Christ is God's son before you get, you know, the later on admission to heaven. So I can see how people would look at this song and see spiritual undertones, though I, I personally think it's more of a philosophical place. That, that idea of belief being the cost to get in is, I mean, that's like Christianity 101. Yeah, I mean, that's why you're, you're, you're supposed to say prayers out loud. You know, right. you don't go to a church and everybody's just thinking prayers in their head. When it's time to say a prayer, you, everybody says it out loud because that admission that you believe in this, that this is, this is your belief system um, verbalized is an important part of it, as you mentioned. And that's, there's an expectation there that somebody who believes kids can speak it, can they, they can verbalize it in a way where others can hear you. And it's not just in your head. So that's that's you're spot on with that as far as like, you know, how you have to, to verbalize certain things in order to really kind of enforce that belief. So with with the chorus, you're talking about belief. Um, admission is easy to say you believe, not think you believe, say you believe. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's some pretty clear parallels there. And uh, I hadn't made that connection before. So thank you with that. I think it is it is really cool that. The girl on the seesaw laughing is the first person we meet because in this next verse now we start to see a little more of the of the sadness that we've been talking about in this song that you know up to this point like well what's been sad about a girl on a seesaw laughing what's so sad about inner peace in people and colorful people with hair swept to the one side <laughs> but but here but here it comes There's a woman who sits all alone by the pier. Her husband was naughty and caused his wife so many tears. He died without knowing forgiveness, and now she is sad, so sad. Maybe she'll come to the park and forgive him, and life won't be so bad in Paisley Park. So, I love this verse. Yeah, this verse is amazing. This verse is really amazing. To me, much, much more clear, clearly states an intention of how this can be applied. This meaning Paisley Park, how this can be applied to, you know, real world. I mean, up to this point, we're just kind of given like this, uh, this kind of circusy, strange, but 
trippy visuals about colorful people and seesaws and being a place in your heart. But this is a real, this is a real situation that involves real people and real scenarios and real decisions that have to be made. And um, I, I really enjoyed that for this because it kind of really makes it a, it makes it more relatable, I think. The song and the concepts of what Prince is talking about makes this relatable to so many people. Whether it doesn't matter which side of, of this story you're on, if you can identify with, with the woman or the husband, it, it, it's very relatable for that reason. Uh, what do you like about this second verse, Julian? So many things. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to try really hard to contain myself and keep it and keep it brief but okay so what i love about this is is that within the narrative structure that i talked about earlier how he becomes sort of the narrator storyteller to introduce you to this place he begins to sort of unfold this story around someone who we have to recognize first is not a citizen of, of paisley park she mm -hmm. lives outside of paisley park now she lives outside of paisley park and she's in this place that is I'm going to say dangerous because, and, 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 and I'm going to get a little bit dark here. I hope that's okay. Mm, of course. This is some, this is someone who clearly has some regret in her heart and who is sitting by herself at a pier. People do bad things when they are feeling broken in their heart and they're alone. The sort of sense of the, the establishment of her loneliness being all alone by the pier. Bad things can happen there. That could go really you know that could go really dark for this woman mm -hmm. and then he gives us her back i assume you're referring to like suicide yes yeah. yes i didn't want to be triggering so i was trying to i was trying to dance but but yeah mostly grown <laughs> folks listen to this so yes yeah but then there's this beautiful interesting word choice that again to me takes this back to a sort of childlike innocence he wasn't a vile man. He wasn't an evil man. He wasn't a vicious man. It wasn't specified what he did. He was naughty. And like that use of the word naughty. I mean, Prince was such a great lyricist. He, 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 he made really interesting and, and deliberate choices in his words. So I love that this grown man who caused his wife so many tears did something naughty or was in general naughty mm -hmm. not evil not bad not vicious he was naughty and i think that softens it in a way that you know the the adults listening to it presumably the audience was intended to be adults the adults listening to it can kind of make their own takeaways because naughty also has other more you know sexual adult connotations in terms of the way people play they right. can make their takeaways and say you know oh he was he was unfaithful that was the way that I heard it, even when I was like in middle school, when, you know, when I started trying to listen to music a little bit more intently. I was like, oh, okay, he, he cheated. But right. then it occurred for me, it could have been anything. It doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what it was. It was just that the way it occurred for Prince and the way that it occurred for this woman was that it was, it was bad enough to make her cry. And then we get into the, we get into the, the real tragedy of it which is he died without forgiveness and that leaves her sad which is presumably why she's alone at the pier but what i love about uh, about that isn't even just the 
um, and now she is sad, it's the repeated so sad, which to me breaks the fourth wall. Because, like, he's sort of in this story, and he's telling, you know, this is this, circumstantially, this is what it is. There's a, there's a park, there are the people, see the girl on the seesaw, and then that sort of so sad, he's kind of coming out for a minute, coming out of the narrative of the song, and actually feeling the emotion for her, feeling the 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 um, empathy, like oh, so mm-hmm. sad, like what a what a what a sad situation to be in. But then it gets deep to me, like this part, I, and I want to know what you think. I, I, this messes with me. Maybe she'll come to the park and forgive him, and life won't be so bad. So what I find interesting is first, she doesn't have to forgive him to come to the park. That's not required. It's more it suggests that she has to come to the park first in order to forgive him and that to me is kind of an interesting way to look at the role of this park and how it serves people who are there so like if she can find it in her heart to believe then she can come to the park and then once she comes to the park she can forgive him and then I wonder like why, why does it require that she comes to the park to forgive him is he is he there already? Does she have to go to where he is so that she can forgive him? And if he is there already and that's required and we know that he's died, then that takes me back to that sort of the park as a weird sort of chosen afterlife thing. Um, if it's not that and it's just that only from that place of the park can you have that kind of forgiveness, then maybe that speaks again to that sort of childlike innocence and ability to you know the sort of purity of heart that we assume of children that would allow you to you know once you can get to the park which which again requires that declaration of your belief which is not necessarily easy unless you have the sort of purity that a child might then maybe you have to return to that state of innocence and purity in order to forgive i don't know what the answer is but i love the fact that the question is is there in the statement that she has to that she has to come to the park and forgive him and then life won't be so bad you know it, it does again it to, to those who want to look at this in a spiritual uh you know christian mindset this idea that forgiveness is is required for you to have a better life is another thing that's kind of written all through most uh most versions of christian theology and so it's established there without being the sort of heavy-handed religious that we've seen Prince do in other places. It's just, it's it's a super dense and really, to me, really beautiful verse. I just, I love it. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And I, I kind of have always interpreted that last section in a way that you described where Paisley Park to to go there and to accept it and believe in Paisley Park allows that room in your heart for forgiveness where she may have been holding on to the anger and the pain and the hurt due to whatever naughty thing that her husband did and she just did not have space in her heart for forgiveness and in order to to really experience that um, that inner peace that opens up her heart to allow somebody who, who hurt her so greatly to, to put her in this position where she is all alone, her husband died, 
he she could not forgive him while he was alive and she's sad for any number of reasons you know you can point to her being sad because of the dissolution of her marriage sad because she, her husband died sad because he died without knowing forgiveness from her right and i i do i've always kind of taken it from that angle where the park is what allows her to forgive i don't necessarily know if if he's there or not i think she just needs to get there so she can free herself and get out of this really dark place that she's stuck in because she's been wronged and and she needs to forgive him in order to get out of that absolutely yeah i think i think the the theme of forgiveness and sort of the essentialness of forgiveness is it couldn't be clearer i mean he he makes it really plain that it's that it's he died without knowing forgiveness maybe she'll come to the park and forgive him forgiveness is the key to whatever is going to make things better for her do you get a sense of invitation from that line like that maybe she'll come to the park because i don't it does not occur for me as sort of an abstract maybe it'll happen maybe it'll won't it's kind of like if if you've ever had an experience like this when you were a child do you remember ever being at a park with you know mom dad guardian whomever and there's another kid playing and then that parent will say to you well maybe he'd like to play with you maybe he (laughs) maybe he wants to play ball and they're not telling you go ask that kid to play but they're suggesting maybe you want to extend an invitation and when i hear maybe she'll come to the park and forgive him in my head sort of imaginary prince sitting in a circle with imaginary kids telling them about this park and how wonderful it is that occurs for me as go see if she wants to come why don't you maybe 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 if she knew what you knew about this park she'd want to come so that she could forgive him and Mm -hmm. it's i I love that sort of soft invitation um and i love the fact that i always kind of get this sense of he's talking to a bunch of other people and i'm listening to him talk to them and then occasionally he leans over and talks to me like that's so sad Yeah. yeah that's what he's doing in this song essentially is talking to us about these people that he's that we're supposed he's trying to help us visualize these scenarios and i i've always felt like this is a song that he's saying i mean every song is being sung to us in a way but this one's feels a little more intimate like this is a anybody who's listening to this song whether or not you're just listening to a one-on-one or in a crowd of people this song is being sung directly to us to talk to us about these people and all these lines are not directed towards them they're directed towards us listeners because we're already there and we hope that you know we want to see other people get there as well because it's a it's a joyous place it's a place everybody we hope can go we want others to join us here in paisley park and that's how i kind of think of this as well so then after verse two we just get a, a repeat of the chorus so i won't sing that again it's the same and then we get to the third verse and like with a lot of prince songs the third verse the music at least starts to change a little bit uh it's kind of more like a bridge slash verse in many ways it's not it's not done in the exact same way with the exact same uh, musical accompaniment 
so at this point you, you do get a little more of the um the psychedelic guitar that prince does in this song yeah he's dragging some of those chords around in a, in a very unique way and the song kind of um starts to fall apart a little bit the music starts to fall apart a little bit before bringing it back for the chorus But on this third verse, the lines are, See the man cry as the city condemns where he lives. Memories die, but taxes he'll still have to give. Whoever said that elephants were stronger than mules? Come to the park and play with us. There aren't any rules in Paisley Park. Before getting into like the story and what he's trying to say, I think generally speaking, the way he sings some of these lines, especially at the end, come to the park and yes. play with us. I, this is where some of that darkness continues to come in. And this song is so weird for me like that way. It, it feels like he's trying to be very positive and very like painting a picture of a, a, a glorious, peaceful place where everybody's happy. But I'm sorry, the music and some of the ways he sings these lines really come into contrast with that idea. This, this it, it, in many ways, it almost it continues to have like all this uh, partially creepy vibe to it. Totally, totally. You know and what it is, Jason? What? Everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The thing on the other side sounds so amazing, but you have to take a really spooky journey to get there. And I feel like I feel like that's the sound that I get when he would come to the park. Like that sounds ghostly as fuck. Yeah, like, it does. It, it does. Always has sounded ghostly when I was nine, sounded ghostly 15 minutes before this call when I listened to it again. It's just ghostly and spooky, and I still love it. I'm still laughing on the seesaw. I'm definitely on the down part of this fucking seesaw right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still laughing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's not just me. I really felt oh, like... <laughs> I was try I was like... Because I'm a big... I love horror films. I love anything like a little macabre and dark... I'm drawn to that kind of stuff. And I always figured it was me that was reading too much into this. And like, oh, I have imagery of like The Shining with those two little girls. Come play with us, Danny. You know, and... Totally. And, but I just, once again, I just assumed that was me. And I didn't realize like the way he's singing the song and the way some of these lines are, I don't care if you like horror films or not, or if you like the kind of darkness, dark art, you can't, you can't deny it. It's there. The delivery is there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And he, I don't, and I don't think he's making an attempt to hide it. I think he wants you to experience that, that kind of cold chill. But because the music immediately when it hits that chorus 
goes so much brighter. It's that like that's the seesaw. That's the whole time this song takes you up and down and up and down. We got a lady crying by the pier. She might be suicidal. And then the girl on the seesaw, like always yeah. come back to her because she's going to make everything all right. She's laughing. So clearly everything is cool. And then you realize like this man is also not a citizen of the park. This man is, is outside of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, the city that's condemning, you know, his dwelling and this is also the second mention of death, which is, I mean, the, the darkness that we talk about is not imagined. It's there. It's just so, it, it's kind of subtle, even even as the music becomes more macabre. Um, but he says memories die. And before, you know, her husband, he died without knowing forgiveness. Like, mm-hmm. this is the second mention of how death happens outside of the park. There isn't really a sense that death happens inside the park. And and then, you know, before in the previous verse, I said there was sort of a soft invitation. Here, it's a really, really clear invitation. Come to the park and play with us. Like, <laughs> that's... <laughs> as much as I made that sound like something from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, but it's a really clear invitation, and that invitation comes with a little bit of darkness to it. You know, but here you're free. There aren't any rules. And that 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 leans that helps the verse lean into the happiness that comes with the chorus. But yeah, this darkness is this is not your imagination, sir. This is real. Yeah, because this man is clearly living in poverty. If he's living in a place where the city's gonna condemn it and you know, and probably enact some sort of eminent domain on his on his property, that's that sucks you know that that is a horrible to be to be living in a place where that's going to happen from the get-go sucks but then to be told you know this place that you've called your home all your life or however many years we're going to condemn it we're going to make you move and maybe you'll be compensated maybe you won't all right you know that that up to you know that will be determined and if, if you feel like you don't have, you're not getting a fair compensation for it, there's not much you can do because lawyers are expensive. Doubt that you have the money to pay for lawyers. So you're just kind of stuck in this really shitty rock and a hard place. Um, and then all of, you have to assume that this person, this man has lived here a while because they talk about memories. And so he's you know, probably raised kids there or had you know his family there and or he grew up there himself. So all these memories are going to completely be wiped away, and and it does, you know. I mean, he, Prince throws the line about the elephants and the mules with the, you know, obviously talking about the, the Republican and Democratic parties and how maybe our government, you know, treats poor people, treats uh, poverty-stricken, uh, not really giving them the kind of attention and care that they need. But it, I I do don't I don't think that that is the the theme of this verse it's more to continue the story about these are the people that need paisley park uh the the downtrodden the folks who are in a really dark place in their life these are the ones that we're trying to recruit i guess he's he's like he's like he's like a little bit of a recruiter here he's like looking around for people who need paisley park and two the verse two and verse three are two stories of people who very much need this inner peace and to come to this place where there aren't any rules and where there's children laughing and playing 
because the reality real world seems to suck for them and it's it's really hard in in a dark place these are the ones that prince is recruiting i feel right i love the idea of the transformative nature of of paisley park that it's going to be this place that makes everything better part of me and so i'm i'm glad to hear that you read him as an old man too because even when i got the lyrics wrong because i've i've been singing the lyrics wrong for years so the way that I sing this, even now knowing what the correct lyrics are, has always been, see the men cry as they're sitting, they don't dance where they live. That's what I heard as a kid. That's what I knew in middle school. It didn't become different for me until the interweb started putting lyrics to everything up, which is just, I, I don't know why. But even then, I imagined it as sad old men in a home because they were there and and they were crying because you know memories die and i wasn't quite sure what the taxi part was so when i came to know the words i was like oh but it was still an old man it was yeah. still an old man in his old dilapidated home and this idea that you know i i the visual that i get is literally him standing crying watching the wrecking ball just like come or watching them you know wheel up the machine that's going to come and tear his house down and, and there's nothing he can do about it. The helplessness of it and the, and I think there's something too attached to that feeling of utter hopelessness that something so much bigger than you can take away your everything. And I think it's interesting that we get this parallel of first a very sad woman and then a very sad man um, who through one, you know, one of them through through death and the other through just transfer of property, have lost everything, everything that sort of defined their world. I do love the way that Prince sort of gives that political tip of the hat. And I love that it that it's issued as a challenge. Like it it doesn't feel like a throw throwaway line for me. I don't know what the expectation was that we do with it, but the idea that that that's who said so what that that's that's not real that's absurd whoever said elephants were stronger than mules i also am kind of curious just what prince's deal with elephants were because that makes me think about elephants and flowers from sure the Bridge. yeah of course you know he wasn't there yet but then again maybe he was you have no idea when he actually you know came up with that concept though he might have came up with those on the same day and then just didn't release it for many many years later but the idea that that he would kind of throw this political, the challenging of this sort of political notion that, you know, in the middle of Reagan's America, because this is 1985. I was just going to touch on that. You got me. Yep. Yep. Keep going. We're right smack dab in the middle of a really, really Republican era, like one of the strongest Republican eras in in our lifetimes. Right. And, And he had the... It, you know, it takes a certain audacity to say what he said in that verse. And I love it. And I, and, and I read it as a bit of a condemnation of, you know, capitalism and, and sort of the Republican take on capitalism and the sort of unspoken war on poverty that was happening. Not not in the sense that we're trying to end poverty, but the sense on the war on poor people that was spearheaded by a lot of the Republican politics of that day. Exactly. And so for him to say that, was like 
I see it, but that ain't that ain't the way it's got to be. There there is a possibility for something else. Why don't you come on over to this park <laughs> where there's where that's not the rule, where there aren't any rules. And I I I love that challenge and then the direct you know decidedly dark invitation that follows. Yeah, I mean that I think whoever said that elephants were stronger than mules, that's the way that's probably the only logical way to interpret that because of course you know the elephants are the republicans and they were in power at the time for the entire 80s basically so yeah this is it i it is prince's kind of coded way of speaking out against the um the republican party at the time and the the conservative uh, values that were being touted by reagan's uh reagan's reagan's policies and how that affected poor people uh poverty stricken and and this is basically Prince's way of speaking on that. I mean, he hadn't touched on much politically speaking since the 1999 album in 82. So, you know, a few years, not that not that long. He's always kind of peppered some of his albums with political statements here and there. So it's not Ronnie unusual. Talk to Russia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not an unusual piece for him to do that. He didn't do a lot of that in Purple Rain, but that was supposed to be a completely different style of record than his previous. So... But I think we both get the idea of this person, this man being old, because of the comment about the memories die. And so yeah. the thing with old people is that once their memories are gone, it's when you're a certain age, the idea of making new memories is kind of like a thing of the past. You don't really think of that. When yeah. you're young, moving or having like your life completely upended, if you're, let's say, for example, a 25-, 30-year-old person and you're forced out, forced to move, forced to start a new life somewhere, you still see a lot of your life left and you say, okay, well, I'm just going to have to make new memories somewhere else. You know, that's okay. We will, we, will, we will persevere. We'll pick up the family, move, and create new memories. But as an older person, somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of years left, memories are all you really have. And, and to lose them is just probably, I would imagine, devastating to see that crumble around you, literally and figuratively. That had not hit me, and wow, yes. Like yeah. the profundity of what it means for memories to die and that you're not going to make new ones, like that hadn't really occurred for me, but you're right. Jesse, I'm assuming that's why we both kind of implied in our minds that this person was old even though it's never mentioned that he's old that this man's age is never once mentioned but we i think we both picked up on that because of that even if it was subconsciously yeah it had to because for me the memories die but tax because it's followed by but taxes he'll still have to give i considered the memories being like literally when i mentioned the wrecking ball literally in my head i see the wrecking ball taking his house with his stuff still in it mm. and so all you know his photos and everything that's the that's where the memories die it i think subconsciously yes i associated with the idea of having a house full of memories with being aged but the part the profundity that really hit me as you were speaking is that once we lose them the ability as well as the desire to create new memories kind of goes away like I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm at, what, what did I just turn? 43. And it hit me 
I don't really want to make new friends. Like, I make new friends from time to time, but I'm not really looking for new friends. I'm not really looking for, I want to have new experiences all the time. But my expectation that I'm going to make new memories is not really the way it was when I was in my 20s. In my 20s, I had this sense, like, it's like, I would do something because I'm like, I know I'm doing this because it's going to make a great story. It's going to be a great memory. I don't really do things that way anymore. Not with the same kind of enthusiasm for crafting something. I don't even have the expectation that I'm going to craft something that's going to stick in the memory. I experience things as I experience them for that moment and 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 take the most out of it that I can get. For you know, for better or for worse. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best way to live, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the idea that you get to a certain age and as memories die, and then that the way that you put it now makes me question the taxes. I mean, I know, of course, literally because the city is mentioned and they're condemning his dwelling, he will likely still have to pay property tax because if he owns the land that that house was on or that that dwelling was on, then he's still going to have to pay taxes, even though they took everything from him. But then the sort of now I'm thinking more metaphorically as memories die, but you still have the tax that you pay. And I'm thinking about how age takes the expression we use age takes a toll. And the toll that it takes is typically on the body. And so I'm thinking about like body tax, like the tax of being in your body, which is now leading me back to the darker place of Paisley Park being a place that you don't get to um, in your physical body. And that possibly being because it is it is a chosen afterlife. And I'm probably going to end up writing a short story about this. (laughs) You should. (laughs) I'm sketching out notes right now. Yeah, no, this has been uh, this has been great uh, to kind of flesh flesh these ideas out between the two of us because uh, there's a lot. This song is brilliant um, for many many reasons, and and not least of all, if not, is the lyrics because uh, any other music, you know, I mean, the music it, it all goes together. It all gives us an idea of what this song is, and it, it it's, its composition is important. Its musical composition is important, but the lyrics. For the song like Paisley Park, really, really drives it home. I mean, not every Prince song has lyrics that can go this deep, that says this much, is open to this much interpretation. And I feel like with Paisley Park, you know, as an allegory for a number of different things, and really can depend on the listener what 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 those what those allegories are. If you really kind of hone in on the first verse. You, you kind of take away from the song that it's in, in the chorus, the first verse in the chorus, you're taking away that this is a wonderful place where everybody, you know, celebrates their differences and you can be that weirdo and you can be as quirky and interesting or odd as you want and, and nobody's going to pay you any mind or they may embrace it on the flip side, not just let you be who you are, but embrace that uh, different part of you. But if you really hone in on the second verse, then you're thinking of it as a, an allegory of forgiveness. You know, how do, how forgiveness can open your heart and free you from from the hate that you may be holding within that's hurting, that's harming yourself. It doesn't necessarily even harm the person that you're hating anymore, that you have all this anger, holding this anger towards. It's hurting you. It's hurting your heart. And to let that go. And then the third verse, if you really hone in on that, then you've got like this really sad story about a man who's 
nearing the end of his life, so we so we assume. We don't know that, but that's kind of what we both took away from it, and how um, things can be snatched from us just like that, and we have and we're powerless to prevent it in many in many situations, many cases. An entity bigger than us, as you mentioned, and how powerless we feel to see that crumble around us. So depending on what you hone in on really can frame your frame your takeaways from this song and how you feel about it. And it, it, it can be dark, it can be scary, it can be creepy, but it can also be incredibly happy and joyous and peaceful song too. It can be all of those things. And that's so fascinating that a song can be all of those things at once and even to the same person listening to it. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Yeah, this is why it's one of my favorite songs. Like, you just can't... It's it's so rich and so textured and gives you so many different different places to be within, you know, within this, this structure of this park. Like, almost like with the final verse, it almost feels like sort of a, a final solution, like a, a resting place. Um, because he doesn't have home anymore. So, you know, the idea of the place where... He, he lives being gone and it's like well here's another alternative to it but it's all still wrapped in the sort of beautiful airy lightness of you know we always coming back to the girl on the seesaw and the laughing and it's like everything's gonna be okay and i, I just i really love that and i think that's why even when i was a kid something about it haunted me this this song feels haunted but not necessarily in a bad way it's haunted by friendly ghosts there you go <laughs> that's, friendly that's ghosts who say, come to the park <laughs> except for that line <laughs> except for right. the delivery of that line it's, the, it's all about the delivery of course <laughs> um i like the violin the violin adds a lot to it too violins can if they're played in a certain way can add sadness and i think we both pick up on that with the violin playing in the song and just the music in general and how it kind of after the third verse you know the chorus comes back in again and that's how the song ends it it, it does add a lot of uh ambiance to the song and a lot of atmosphere to end that way and it, and it, it forces you to really kind of reflect i think on the song I, I like how it ends i do too and i love the fact that you know we get that repeat of the most important part of the theme like like you said if nothing else you are not going to forget paisley park is in your heart like he he gives you the he gives you the the course i think twice more right mm -hmm. and then and then hits you with you know your heart your heart paisley park your heart and then just you're like you're you're left with that really straight this is the place this is where you go this is how you get there. This is the place. This is where you get there. Everything else kind of, you know, fading into the background, receding into the background. I love what the violin does because it brings it, it it's such a nice, soft place to be. And it's in such stark contrast to, I think you called it the psychedelic guitar that Prince is playing in the in the verse about the man, mm -hmm. where it's like squealing and screeching. And it's, it's, in a, it's in a much grittier nastier place and then for us to be able to come off of that to the the sort of soft joyfulness of the the chorus and then to end on this very peaceful 
I'm doing a terrible job, but like it's just it's that to me is swans on a lake. Like it's just it's that kind of peaceful. And I I really, really love that at the end of all of that, whatever we went through in our journey sort of to understand the part, we're left in this peaceful place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a complete 180 from like a song like Computer Blue, how that ends with, you know, screeching guitar feedback that just goes right. on and on. That, the intention of the end of Computer Blue is completely different than how, you know, he envisioned a song like this. Because Computer Blue is kind of like a really kind of angry, aggressive, where's my love life? You know, right. <laughs> he's pissed off. You know, yeah. Paisley Park is is the music does what it's intended to do to match what the song's lyrics are supposed to do and give us that sense of of happiness and peace by the time the story ends and it does that wonderfully does that wonderfully so julian do you have any final thoughts on the song i know we've covered quite a bit already but just in case you had anything else that you wanted to touch on here's your no, time i don't think so i just i just I love it. I love that this is the seed for, you know, when you actually go to Paisley Park and, and you walk under the bridge that people call Graffiti Bridge and you keep seeing the notes that people write, you know, Paisley Park is in your heart. And it, I, I love that that's what this song left for us, is that you're never really far away from it. And I think in the absence of Prince, you know, not having... Well, we're still going to get new music from him, but, you know, not having him with us. Um, the idea that that there's a place where, you know, we can probably find him if we can get there. I, I love that. I live inside my own heart. That was uh, that was Prince's quote when he was speaking to Matt Damon about where he lived. <laughs> so Prince has had this concept of living inside of his heart. For a long time, and he, he, he continued with that. He felt like that was a an important way to express his own inner peace that he had within himself uh, long after the song was written. Look inside oneself to find perfection. That was a quote that he gave to Rolling Stone in 1985 around the time of the release of Around the World in a Day. Perfection is in everyone. And perfection also is in this song so i don't have anything more to say either paisley park is an amazing song and i just wanted to thank you for joining me today to talk about it julian i think it was uh, very insightful and uh, you're you can tell that you're a storyteller (laughs) (laughs) that is that is very clear whenever whenever you are able to eloquently speak to your the ideas that you have in your head to be able to verbalize them in a very eloquent way that paints a picture just like this song paints a picture and I, I value your um you know your ability to do that and value you as a as a guest on my show for that so thanks again well it's more than my pleasure thanks for having me jason and uh if you want to hit me up around gold so that we can talk about parallels <laughs> i'm down i know that's all right a ways from now but i'm around you know all right we'll, we'll talk to you in 2023 when i get around to gold <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> okay right, well right. Anything else you wanted to say? Uh, you wanted to tell anybody where they could find you or anything along those lines? Oh, yeah. One one other thing, and this might be good since you did say you can tell I'm a storyteller. Um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, you can catch me on Facebook Live, I do a little thing called Storytime with Julian where uh, 
taking borrowing a page from LeVar Burton back in the day, I read stories. Sometimes they're original creations. Sometimes they're um, just from notable black authors. But Storytime with Julian has become a really wonderful place for people to relax, chill out, find some of that profound inner peace. So if you're looking for a way to unwind on Tuesday or Thursday evening, swing on by. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much again. And this has been Jason Brenninger for the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Press Rewind 75, or I also have a Facebook page. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Paisley Park, the song, the lyrics, the attachments, personal attachments you have to this amazing song off an amazing album. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>